Do you still need to be trained on the EUMDR? So don't miss the next session of the Green Belt Certificate, which is a five days training on the EUMDR. And this session will start on May 24th and will last for five days. After that, you will have an exam uh, to pass. And if you pass it, you will receive your Green Belt Certificate. So don't hesitate to go to school.easymedicaldevice.com slash course slash GB12. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we will talk about MDR. So the title of our episode of today is MDR is coming. But uh, Eric had sent me an image where it says, brace yourself, MDR is coming. So it's maybe not the same message here. So we have that. So um, my guest today, as I said, Eric Volbrecht. So Eric, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Hi, Munir. Glad to be uh, with you again. Yeah, so uh, we are at one week, one week from the EUMDR. I think when the episode will be released, it will be really one week from the EUMDR. Um, so the idea of today, I mean, the question that I have to ask for, because we talked about that since now, I, see, I think I started the, the, the podcast two years ago. Um, we talk about MDR since a long time and we said it will not be postponed, it will not be postponed, it will not be postponed. <laughs> And surprise, coronavirus arrived and it was postponed for one year. Now people are saying to me, oh, maybe there is a rumor that it will be postponed. So will it be postponed? Again? Yeah, no. again, I don't know. No, no, no. They, I mean, if, if uh, remember that last time they postponed it, they did it as quickly as they could possibly do it legislatively. And if they would have wanted to postpone it before the date of application, then they would have needed at least a month uh, which, yeah, I mean, if we would have known if anything was going on. I, I do hear some rumors about the IVDR possibly being postponed, but okay. uh, the MDR, no, not, no, it's not going to happen anymore. So, so it's, uh, it's basically, it, we're going to have to MacGyver our way uh, through the MDR at this point. It's, uh, if you still think it's going to be postponed, then uh, no. Yeah, so no postponement anymore. So we have to do that. I mean, I'm, I've started a series where every day I try to give you a, a topic and, and some people told me, oh, you are stressing us with your videos because it says day minus 30, day minus 40. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, we, we, we know that it's coming now. It's not like they will be postponed. But uh, what you say, when you say IVGR will maybe be postponed, I mean, IVGR is for next year. Uh, we are still saying that uh, there is really an urgency here. We don't have a lot of notified bodies and there is more, more manufacturers under IVDR that will be needing a notified body before they were self-certified. And now okay. the proportion of self-certification is like 20% is really a low, a low proportion. So uh, why, 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 why do you think that AVDR should be postponed first, maybe? Well, I mean, uh, I don't really have a personal opinion about whether it should be postponed, postponed or not. But, uh, I mean, if you look at, uh, on the one hand, the, uh, if you would compare it to the MDR, right? And you would say that, let's say, 85% of all devices on the market is currently self-certified and needs a CE certificate under the IVDR, 
right? So that's that's a lot. Basically, that's 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 more than a qualified majority. Now there are less notified bodies that even applied for the IVDR. There are much less notified bodies that are even notified at the moment. Just four. Yeah, four. Can count them on a single hand. Uh, I mean, those 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 are some of the big ones, but still, it's it's not nearly sufficient uh, capacity. And also, remember, remember, and this is something that people often forget. With the MDR, we had the second corrigendum that said, "Hey, if you uh, if you if you need a notified body under the uh, under the MDR, then you can still issue a valid declaration of conformity before the date of application, and you can sit out your declaration of conformity and get your MDR certificate later." This had not has not happened for the IVDR yet. So that's that's kind of a problem because uh, because it means that that still uh, 85 to 90 percent of the devices in the market still needs to push themselves through this very narrow capacity hole of these uh, four notified bodies. And I'm still saying four because the the funnel of notified bodies is really really slow. And if you speak to the notified bodies that uh, have done IVDR and MDR they will tell you that basically the bottleneck is between, is in the period where uh, a notified body has had their joint assessment, has handed in a CAPA plan, yeah. and the signing off on the CAPA plan, that is basically delaying everything. So we have, I think from the top of my head, we had 11 or 12 uh, notified bodies in the pipeline for IVD to begin with, for IVDR. And yeah, so basically uh, seven are still stuck in, uh, in, in the pipeline uh, this way and they might not be in time. And also don't forget, once a notified body is notified, they are not immediately at full capacity because notified bodies are not allowed to actually start to do full preparation before they are notified. So that means that they will need a couple of more months to basically uh, get up to steam. So before a notified body is at full certification capacity, that usually takes four to six months, yeah. which means that any notified body capacity that is added, not added this year, will not make a difference even. And even if they are at full capacity, they need eight months at least for a, a certification. So then you come back even further. So any notified body that is not added, um, by the end of the third quarter of this year, right, which is uh, which is basically uh, which is basically before September, yeah. will not make any difference. And what is what is uh, important here is also that um, um, so we have um, uh, a number of four. Um, notified bodies, if I can say, as we said for, for that. Uh, we have a lot of manufacturers that are uh, on the pipe also for that. And we suppose that there is also a lot of manufacturers that have no clue or that have no understanding of this change of situation. Because yeah. as, you, as you said, they were self-certified. It means that they never had to discuss with a notified body before. And now they become, they need a notified body, but they have no clue how it is working. So I suppose there is this, this kind of thing that can be also creating a problem for them. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, and also uh, there are quite a lot of companies that are 
taking the strategy, okay, we are just going to play stupid and then hope that some kind of solution comes along. Huh? We've okay. seen that with MDR as well. And now it looks like the MDR, there are some rumors that, 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 uh, that there is a movement to maybe postpone it. But then still, you don't know what postponement will look like. And so because uh, let's, let's say they move the date of application with one year like they did with the MDR. So what do, what do you get? You get a grace period of one year. Is that going to help you? So basically, no, I no, would say. With the MDR, we had a grace period of three years, which is even too short, because what did everybody do with the grace period? Everybody piled their certificates up and back, which means that still, we will not have enough notified body capacity in the, in, in, uh, towards the end and in a year, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it won't be possible. It's just going to be a total uh, cluster beep, uh, basically. Yeah. So uh, so I think, yeah, uh, the message is <laughs> if you are IVD, an IVD manufacturer, you have really to, to, to understand, to make a plan, to make a, 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 a strategy, a scenario, as, as, you, as Eric says, usually on my podcast. So uh, make scenarios for that uh, and to, uh, to be ready for, for the next year. I hope, I mean, this, you should be ready for next year. Maybe there will be a postponement, but don't think about that. Just try to be ready mainly for, for next year. Um, Basically, people uh, and people shouldn't forget that the IVDR is not at the point that they have this uh, that they have this 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 sort of grandfather-like construction for self-certified IVDs as they had for the MDR, and that is really important because uh, in the MDR they managed to fudge that in with a corrigendum. After that, the European Parliament said we are not going to allow ourselves to be abused again for this kind of bypassing of legislative procedure. So you can be sure that for the IVDR, they will want to do this according to the proper legislative procedure. And that's going to take time. Yeah. So um, let's... Um, I think the message is, is now uh, passed for the IVDR. Um, I have a series of questions Uh, for MDR that people ask me uh, related to the date of application, to the fact there are still MDDs, to the fact uh, how it will be working on during this transition period. And I wanted to, to get your, your opinion on that. So um, the first question is that um, there is this article one of the UMDR, which is excluding some products to be uh, regulated by the MDR, but they were regulated before by the MDD. So uh, now it's excluded. So Um, you are now here in the middle of two things. Uh, yeah. First, maybe, can we remind what are those products that are excluded if you have a list of or some examples? Um, and if they are excluded, which regulation they have to follow now? Yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, one of, the, one of the, uh, the, the problems I see most in the market are the, uh, are the devices that have a, a viable uh, component. So the Article 16H, Um, uh, products which are now uh, excluded from MDR scope. And so you would typically be looking at, for example, a medical device containing probiotics with uh, viable uh, bacteria. I've, I've been dealing with that kind of case myself. Uh, uh, and uh, I found that um, it is complicated let's put it like that because as usually with law that is not super well drafted uh, you can go all kinds of directions and it is a bit of which russian doll is bigger uh, to, to put it into a, a metaphor 
Because why, why is that? Article 16H says these products are not in scope of the MDR. Okay. On the other hand, Article 100, these, these are also products that under the NDD could have a valid CE certificate. Okay. Right? So I, I, so I have clients with products that have a valid CE certificate now. So then you start, so then you think, ah, nice, I have a valid CE certificate. I read Article 120. Yeah. Article 120, Section 2 says, ah, congratulations, you have a valid CE certificate. Um, that means that you can sit it out until the end. And then you look in Article 120, Section 3 for the conditions. Oh, cool, I can sit it out until maximum of the end of the grace period. Fantastic, my notified body gave me a, a CE certificate until, uh, until uh, 26 May uh, 2024. I'm fine. I am golden. <laughs> and then, then, uh, uh, then, then you get member states that are saying, some member states are saying, no, that's not true because uh, uh, since the product is excluded from scope in Article 16H, you can't go under the, uh, you can't benefit from the transitional regime. Now, and then you get into this really weird sort of what goes first? What, which, which clause trumps what? Does Article 16H trump Article 120, Section 2? Or the other way around? Now, I would think personally, but of course I'm defending my poor clients that yeah. see their <laughs> e-certificates taken away, is I would think that if the NDR intended that certain valid certificates would not be covered by the Article 120 regime, that you would put in Article 120, Section 2, this does not apply to products that are, uh, that are out of scope for the NDR for, uh, under Article 16, right? So, and, uh, so, 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 so this is this is something that uh, uh, is there is there a kind of a discussion actually with the EU Commission about that, or for them it's like no stop stop discussion and now anything that is excluded is excluded and we are not talking anymore about that. So from the twenty sixth of May, all the products that are with probiotics or uh, viable uh, viable organism, they have to stop their marketing or or what, what they should do then. Well, that's that's also one of the things that the MDR doesn't say. Right? There are no consequences for this kind of certificate because what would be the consequence then that by article that, that by the date of application your certificate is suddenly magically invalid? Nobody knows. I mean, there's not a provision for that in the MDR, which in my view means that this is a permutation that the legislator has not considered. Now, if there's a permutation that the legislator has not considered, then of course you get into the interesting question, so what will apply? If you look in the MDR FAQ by, made by the CAMD in December 2017, question 14, it says, yes, these products are uh, out of scope of the MDR and they can't go under the MDR, period. No argumentation, no legal argument. Now, there are some member states like Ireland and France, they say, okay, so you can't, if you are a manufacturer and you're based on our territory, we will, uh, yeah, we will enforce if you keep placing these products on the market. So basically they're forcing you into a voluntary withdrawal and otherwise they will enforce. 
Whereas I've also seen member states like Germany and Italy, for example, they're perfectly okay with that. So then what you can, yeah, what can you do as a company? I mean, it's, it's tricky. You could, for example, say, okay, if I'm located in Ireland or France, I will just move my manufacturer to another member state, see what happens. Then I might not be able to sell in Ireland or France, but I'll work around it that way. But on the other hand, yeah, it's, it's just weird. And also remember that CAMD, CAMD has no formal competence to interpret the MDR yeah, actually. Exactly. Because it's the MDCG, not the CAMD. CAMD so, can say what they want. They can play the banjo until the cows come on, but they have no formal competence. It's just member states talking and not the MDCG. So also there, I think that they, they thought they were looking for a practical solution and then made it more complicated. So, but it means that if I can say, if those products are not MDR anymore, if there is no regulation outside of that, they are not illegal, they can still be placed on the market without any regulation. Oh, no. That's, that's, that's probably also not how it works because, of course, we've got, uh, we've got other legislation. That's because the only thing we have now is the MDR basically, yeah, basically sort of pushing these products out of the nest, right? Saying yeah. you are not a device anymore. Fly, fly, little birdie, non-device. So then, uh, then the question is, so what are they? And the problem is that if they are not, uh, if they are not under the MDR, they are likely... Uh, well, they could be food, depending on the claim, yeah. Yeah, because if you ingest them. But if they're probiotics, people will probably make medical claims, which make, takes them out of the scope of food or still might be, uh, you might still have a, I don't know, improved function claim or, or how do you call it for food. But um, again, there you have to scientifically substantiate it. Uh, you might have food that says sustains uh, sustains healthy bowel flora or something like that. That is something that you need to substantiate under the food, uh, under the food claims regulation. And also it might be a medicine. Yeah. And we all know what happens if competent authority thinks or thinks it's convenient that something is a medicine, they will immediately invoke the hierarchy provision and say, when in doubt, it's medicine, Oh, we, we, we have a lot of doubts uh, because we are not going to even discuss the actual mechanism of, uh, of your product. So we are just going to stick our fingers in our ears and shout la 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 and say it's a med med medicinal product and you, you and see you in court. And, and it's something that is interesting because I remember when I was working in, in pharma, um, medical device industry, I read the 2001 83 EC and there is this sentence saying, if you have a doubt, it is a, it is a drug. So we need to say saying that inside. So uh, there's a bit more nuance than that because basically the, the European Court of Justice has clarified that as to say, if a product can be regulated under the medicinal products directive and other product regulations, so if it's in the scope of both, then, and there is doubt about which one should take precedence, in that case, the medicinal products win. <laughs> they precedence. But of exactly. course, I've always seen member states basically jump over that with a big leap and say, we have doubts, it's a medicine. Okay. <laughs> so, Good luck. so, yeah, so as you said, this is something that maybe we have more information about. But uh, yeah, we have uh, for people that are interested, you go to Article 1, 6, and you will see exactly which are the products that are excluded. And this is mainly uh, what we talk about today is mainly the, the same situation for all those products. Um, 
The second question is about economic operators. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I am an MDD product. Uh, I have an MD product. I send that to. I sell that in Europe. Um, should my economic operators follow MDR for that, or should they follow MDD for my product because I am MDD? So is there a rule here, or now it says importer should do that, so they have to do that? Yeah, this is a, this is a, another one like these Russian doll problems, as the one we've just discussed. Yeah? Because uh, on the one hand, uh, well, you've got the situation MDR, date of application, MDR is applicable to all devices on the market, except if there is an exemption, uh, for example, for MDD products that can go under Article 120, Section 3, provided that they implement certain quality system requirements from the, uh, from the uh, MDR. Now, there are two ways to interpret that uh, provision. I've actually, uh, I've, I've, I've done a, a podcast with Gert Bos uh, on this, on, uh, on QSurf, where we explain that in a lot of detail, because you can say two things, right? You can say if, you can say Article 120, Section 3 is a self-contained regime that okay. applies to MDD products. And that means that MDD products after the date of application only have to do what is listed in Article 120, Section 3. So that is registration of economic operators, yeah. registration of products, and that's Market it. Surveillance. To, uh, yeah, vigilance and that. Vigilance. But, but with regard to economic operators, it doesn't say oh, you yeah. have to be yeah. pool, importer, and distributor, uh, PRC, and that kind of stuff. It's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is the way I have seen uh, several competent authorities look at it, and they say, we have a date of application, we already had a transitional period before the date of application. For some old MDD products, we have a runoff period in the grace period, but there is a date of application and there was a transitional period leading up to the date of uh, application in which as a manufacturer, you should have made sure that you were prepared. Now, then the argument is, well, but there are also the NDR has a mechanism for delaying certain things that are not immediately applicable on the date of application. And these things can all be found in Article 123, 123. Uh, section three, that has a whole list of things that, that are delayed uh, with alternative dates. So these, 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 uh, these competent authorities take a position that everything that is not explicitly delayed is applicable as of date of application. So that means Article 11, Article 12 on the authorized representative, because that's really interesting. You never hear people that have the theory that they shouldn't apply Article 13 or 14, you never hear them say, oh yeah, but Article 12 is not applicable, Article 11 is not applicable. They are always cherry picking, which I find very interesting. Because this is, I mean, either all the provisions from the economic operator chapter are applicable, so also 15, 16, 18 in plant card. Eh? Um, uh, and, and and you never hear people about that unless they have implants. But uh, so competent authorities say no, uh, it is applicable. What I've also seen is notified bodies also say actually it's applicable. Actually, this week 
on the reps conference BSI went on the record saying, yeah, of course, PRC is applicable for MDD devices. So if you have an MDD device and you don't have a PRC by the time of your first surveillance audit into the uh, grace period, you will get a major nonconformity. So, I mean, it's, of course, it's, it's nice. You can, you can uh, sort of decide that uh, you're not going to play by those rules, but then you will run into competent authorities and you will run into, not, into notified bodies. And I know it's a difficult discussion because I know that in Medtech Europe's economic operator group, uh, this has been a bone of contention for years with factions arguing this and factions arguing that. But in the end, there were just a lot of big ones, uh, big Medtech Europe members that said, we are not going to work with dual quality systems for, uh, for economic operators for MDD and MDR. We are just going to lump everything together, which sort of ended the debate. And they also didn't want to yeah, have to fight themselves out of their problem uh, when it turns out that the, not that the authorities and the notified bodies are going to push back to them. So, so uh, in terms of PRRC, just to come back to this point, because it was also one of the questions that uh, I wanted to get for. Um, so mm. for PRRC, so what you are saying that even if you are MDD, you need to have a PRRC, but it's not something that is mentioned Um, if I can say, on the MDD directive. Um, so what is the point to say, yes, we need a PRRC when you are, when you are MDD? The exact same point as you would say that Article 11 about authorized representatives, Article 12 about authorized representative change, Article 13 about importers, Article 14 about distributors, and Article 15 about PRRC. It's, it's just applicable. So for manufacturers, we talk, huh? Yes, Okay, so manufacturers, if you are MDD, find the PRC immediately. So this is also something that is uh, that is really important. Um, one thing about economic operator that I want also to clarify. Yeah, or, or if you want to have a fight about it, that's fine too. I mean, uh, I love intellectual puzzles, so I will gladly gladly fight a good fight. But I, I'm not sure it's the best way to spend your time and money. I mean, I mean, apparently, um, one of the requirements of the UMDR is also that even if you are MDD, you have to follow vigilance reporting, uh, post-marketing surveillance, etc., which is something that is the also the the function of the PRRC. Uh, so it's mainly also yeah. something that is uh, is, is missing. Yeah, so I mean, what's, what's the additional burden to just task somebody with that? It's, I mean, PRC. It, yeah, I mean, it's it's an additional thing, but it's not not total rocket science or something. And you can hire a consultant for that. So don't hesitate uh, to find a consultant who can do that if you are a small business. No, if you are small, yes. Yeah. If you're big, then uh, you have to have your own. No choice. Um, <laughs> one thing about economic operator that we discussed is that um, there is some misconception or misunderstanding about two terms, which are placing on the market and making available. So what, what is the difference and why is it so important to understand that? Yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the difference is that placing on basically the core concept in CE marking legislation is making available. Making available is every little step in the supply chain. And placing on the market is the first making available in the union with a capital U. So basically in the medical device regulated space of the EU. The union is bigger because it also contains Turkey, Switzerland, well, Switzerland not anymore after 26 May. Turkey possibly, we still don't know. It's completely yeah. silent about Turkey, very scary. 
but then Norway, Liechtenstein, Iceland, happy places like that. These are part of the union. Now, so why is placing on the market so important? Because, uh, again, Article 120, I think it's the most read article these days, yeah. is, uh, says that if you have placed products on the market before the date of application, they can still uh, they can circulate freely circulate on the market even until 27 May 2025. So you've got five years to sell them off but then they need to be placed on the market. And placed on the market is a term that is clarified. It's, it's a defined term in the MDR, but it's interpreted in a lot of detail in the, uh, in the Blue Guide, yeah. which everybody that has not read the Blue Guide, go outside, open your car door, slam your fingers in it because you deserve it if you haven't read the Blue Guide by now, because you shouldn't be asking yourself these questions. Blue Guide is really fantastic. And um, so there are a lot of misconceptions now because now uh, actually companies start to think like, oh shit, I have this, this batch of products that is never going to comply with the MDR anymore, but is compliant with the MDD. I am going to place them on the market before uh, the date of application. And there I see a lot of consultants uh, and also other lawyers giving really, really bad advice, probably because they haven't read the blue guide. But um, because they are saying things like, well, in order for products to be placed on the market, uh, the importer has to own them. It's not true. Uh, in order for, uh, uh, because the blue guide says, well, a transfer of ownership is an assumption of a transfer that leads to making available, but it's not a necessary condition. Or they are saying, well, uh, the products have to be physically in the warehouse of the importer. It's also not true because, uh, because actually we've seen with the latest uh, guidance from the Brexit about industrial products, uh, the, the March 2020 version, where they discuss on pages eight and nine uh, quite a number of interesting permutations about placing on the market. One of which where it says uh, no problem if the products are still underway as long as there is a transaction that uh, with, a, uh, with a distributor that could also be an importer based in the EU. So you are sure that the product is going to be placed on the market in the, in the union. In that case, it, even if the product counts, then counts as placed on the market. I had a Japanese client, for example, last week, they had a few containers of capital equipment stuck where yes in in uh, what in, uh, in in the in the at the border or no no on the ever given this this ah, shit yeah, evergreen yeah yeah this, uh, this big container yeah true still being sequestered by the egyptian authorities yeah, somewhere yeah. in the lake in the suez canal and they were like oh no these products will never arrive in europe in time to be placed on the market and i said well that you can solve this by making sure that you have a distributor order linking, uh, linked to the serials of these capital equipment, and then they count as placed on the market, as long as that order is in place before the, uh, before the date of application. So and what there, is interesting, more... it says also that uh, it should not be, it's not mandatory that it's paid, it can be also for free. So you can also provide something for yeah, free. And you can donate it. You can donate the goods yeah. even uh, better. Better write it down, but uh, yeah. 
Exactly, and it should be just, just, uh, just, just that the, there is a transfer and there is a kind of a, a new, a new owner, if I can say of this, but not yeah, physically, but also many on the documentation. And you need to show a clear intent that the product is going to circulate in the union, because the fact that is destined to be to clear customs in the union, or or destined to physically go to the union, doesn't mean that it will actually be placed on the market there. So you really need to be able to show that you have, an, uh, have a union customer for this. Because if it goes to a warehouse in the union, whether customs bonded or not, and for these products, it's still not clear that they will always be distributed in the union. And as long as that's not clear, they can't count as placed on the market. So uh, if I am a manufacturer, I manufacture 1 million units of a product. It is on my stock. It is not somewhere else. I release that a paper. I release that. It is on my stock this is not placed on the market. Correct. Yeah, if it's still sitting in manufacturer stock, and there's, that's, that's also what it says in, uh, in guidance, that if it's still sitting in manufacturer stock, then it's not placed on the market. You really need it to be transacted. Uh, you need, well, it has to clear production. So that's, uh, that's clear manufacturing stage, which is also sometimes difficult if it's uh, still in manufacturing stock. And there has to be uh, uh, there has to be intent to distribute on the uh, on the union market, and for that you need uh, to prove that you need to prove with a transaction, uh, preferably with a European with a union party. No, I think it's it's clear here. Uh, we had also one case about e-commerce, um, the fact that you are uh, selling your products um, on the e-commerce on the uh, internet. Uh, there is also some some good advice that they are on the on the blue guide about that. Well, not so much on the blue guide because, well, yes and no, basically, because the blue guide already had a section uh, speaking about fulfillment services providers that could be distributors under certain circumstances, which had everything to do with e-commerce. But we also, and that's something that people often forget, we have the market surveillance regulation enter uh, becoming applicable actually on 16 July. And that regulation has a clause that says if there is no importer, for example, because the manufacturer is based outside of the, outside of the union and sells products directly to the, to the end customer, then in those cases, the fulfillment services provider in the, in the union may be seen as a, as, as a regulated economic operator and needs to do the verification that the economic operator has to do. So Amazon, congratulations. This is probably one for you. Um, so, so I think it's, it's interesting because, yeah, uh, uh, I, I think there is a lot of things that like that that maybe people don't know and that will come and maybe at, at one point they will, they will have this responsibility without knowing that and which is maybe something that can be a, a big problem. Um, Okay, so another question about uh, OEM OBL, so own brand labeling, original yeah. equipment manufacturer. This is something that was authorized, if I can say, or accepted within the MDD, uh, where your original equipment manufacturer has a CE certificate, and you mm -hmm. as an OBL have also a CE certificate, but all the parts related to the manufacturing, you, 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 you reference, if I can say, the CE certificate from the OBM, which is not authorized anymore with the UMDR. So, um, what is the alternative that those manufacturers have to have then? 
Well, it's, there, there are several alternatives. Uh, basically, the MDR proceeds from the uh, point that you cannot be a little bit pregnant. So you cannot, cannot be a little bit manufacturer like they were under the OBL construction, right? Because then, then the let's say the customer manufacturers would have an abbreviated technical documentation, which would all refer back to the technical documentation of the core product that then their notified body could go look there. Not allowed anymore. The MDR says if you want to be, if you want to wear your big boy pants and be a manufacturer, you are a manufacturer all the way. Which means Article 108 uh, says that you need to have full technical documentation for your device. Now, they call that also virtual uh, manufacturing because it's still allowed to have your device completely manufactured by another party. And that other party may also have a CE marking of their own. I mean, the, uh, the MDR is agnostic about that, but the difference is that you need a full uh, technical documentation, a full quality system, and you need to be able to, uh, yeah, to basically uh, completely understand this yourself. So that's, that's the alternative. And then if you are in a situation where somebody else is going to manufacture your whole product, the MDR says that needs to go in the technical documentation. It's actually traceable. Who does that? And also uh, notified bodies will ask for a particular type of agreement in place. Um, and we've seen that uh, before the MDR or when the UK was still part of the EU, uh, the MHRA had guidance for that. Uh, the, uh, the Virtual the, manufacturer. Exactly. Uh, which was quite detailed and I thought it was pretty good guidance. So that is still something that you can look at. And I also know that some notified bodies, for example, DECRA in Netherlands, uh, have also sent very specific letters to their uh, customers saying, this is what your agreement should look like. So that's the alternative. And also another alternative would be to say, well, uh, I'm going to use an OEM construction where I will have the product manufactured by somebody who does not have their own CE marking, but who will be a, a, a critical supplier to me. It's another, uh, another way to do it. I think, yeah, there is a, a lot of way. One thing that I want to clarify also, and maybe you can confirm that, is that uh, people are asking me, how can I see if I am a legal manufacturer or if I am a, um, a distributor or, or whoever else? So, there is the, the, the symbol of the black plant on the product. As soon yeah. as you have your name behind it, it means that you are considered as the legal manufacturer. As soon as it is the name of your supplier, it means that you are not the legal manufacturer. Can you confirm yeah. that? So that's for people to have a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exactly how it goes. That's also what Article 16.1a provides now. Eh? That's the branded distribution. That's another alternative, by the way. Good that you mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, because if you are going to go for a scenario where uh, somebody else is the manufacturer, but you still put your name on it, fine. Then your brand is on the box. The uh, legal manufacturer's name is on the label next to the little black uh, factory. And you need to have an agreement in place uh, that, yeah, it's not very detailed according to the MDR, just needs to make sure that it's clear who takes the manufacturer role and who takes the dis distributor role. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's really important because, yeah, there is a lot of misunderstanding. I, I saw some manufacturers that say, I am an OBL, uh, and I, but it's manufactured by another uh, manufacturer, but I put the, my name behind the, the black uh, factory uh, symbol. And then we say, okay, if you are continuing like that, you have to have 
as you mentioned, technical file, quality management system, everything, notified body also, uh, C certificate, et cetera. So uh, it's something that maybe just to clarify uh, about it. Symbols are not even clear for manufacturers that they don't understand that if they put their name behind the manufacturer symbol, that that means that they're a manufacturer. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I think there is here a lot of um, a misunderstanding because people, I had some people say, oh, I'm not manufacturer, I'm just receiving the product, but it is this person who manufactures, but it's my name. I, I am responsible for that. I say, then your, your, your labeling or your packaging is wrong. You have to mention your name behind this, law, this symbol. Because on the UMDR, there is this definition of what is a manufacturer. It's many, the one that is commercializing the product. It's not just the one that is manufacturing the product. Uh, that's your problem. You need a new regulatory affairs manager, I would say. Exactly. Hire your consultants. And um, okay, so last point is, uh, okay, I think I have covered all the questions I wanted to ask you. Um, so the last element is about, uh, we talked about that, I think during the last uh, podcast uh, with you, it's about your book. You have a book that is released. Uh, I mean, normally as the date of this episode will go live, the book will be released. So can you talk me, to tell us more about it? So is it, is it uh, available um, electronically? Is it available in a, maybe a, a bookstore or whatever? Uh, I'm going to sell it as a uh, as an as an ebook. So okay. uh, basically, you can buy it either as a watermarked standard type of document, or you can uh, or you can uh, uh, download it as a uh, as an ebook for on your uh, uh, for on your uh, e-reader. Actually, I can show you the cover if you like. Would you like that? Yeah, yeah show me if, uh, if I can. Oh shit. I can't, you have to enable screen sharing for me. Let me, let me check. Okay. You can go, I think. Yeah, there we go. Here, this is it. Okay, enriched MDR and IVDR. So, uh, <laughs> It's 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 mainly so so it's mainly uh, it's mainly uh, uh, like a, a series of information about uh, how to interpret the UMDR or IVDR or, or it's maybe yeah, like what, a, I, what, I, what I've done is uh, what I've done. Oh, the book will be available. I will put a link on my blog, and then it's a link to the uh, to the uh, to the uh, uh, fulfillment services provider that will uh, well take your payment and then send you the book. But it's, yeah, the book is basically, it, con it con uh, consists of five parts. One is an introductory chapter on the uh, IVDR and the MDR. So it's basically an overview of why they are the way they are, where they come from, how they work, what the big differences between the directives are, uh, new things, uh, thinking behind it. So basically to give you some context. Then the second part is an annotated version of the uh, of the MDR. So what I've done is I've annotated as many clauses of the MDR as I possibly could in the time that I had. So basically, it's it's a uh, it's the, the 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 second part is the whole MDR legal text with comments of mine in between. Okay. Uh, in flow charts and, uh, and and all kinds of diagrams and also a lot of comments, references to uh, publications, references to uh, to blogs, references to whatever European case law. Then part three, that is the same, but then for the IVDR. And part four is uh, part four is a, uh, a bunch of uh, tables that you can use to uh, cross refer 
between uh, uh, several parts of these regulations and, uh, for example, the clinical trials regulation. Um, so these are very, very convenient. Um, basically, to save you a lot of work. There's also a, a nice table on overlap between the MDR and the IVDR, which will be especially interesting for the IVDR people. So you can basically see where the overlap is, which means that all the places where overlap is, is stuff that other people have been thinking about for a lot of time already. Okay. And then there's, there's a last part with uh, references to, uh, to other uh, sources of information uh, and abbreviations and that kind of stuff. And I think in total, it's going to be about 1,500 pages uh, uh, on your e-reader. Great. So I think it will be our Bible uh, for, for us <laughs> regulators and the ones that are really trying to do that because yeah, each time we are trying to interpret things and it's great to have a lawyer like you that has experience on that to, to tell us exactly what, what is your interpretation of that or so. Uh, and um, so I will have the, the link on the show notes. Uh, so uh, please go on the show notes to, uh, to get the book. I will be one of the first to, to buy it anyway, because as I've said, I'm, I will be using that for my, uh, my daily activities. Uh, but yeah, don't hesitate to go and to get that. Uh, and I, I hope that yeah, we can get you again on the podcast and maybe discuss about some, some part of it. Uh, again, uh, as soon as I get that, I will pick some elements and we'll maybe make a podcast episode with you about, about that. Um, okay. So um, great. So thank you really, Eric. Uh, as I said, in one week, we have the MDR. Uh, so please, I hope you are ready. If you are not, uh, tell me what is uh, maybe your question or things and we can try to answer to that. Uh, and at the end, uh, yeah, the objective is that uh, uh, that you are compliant to be placing your device in the market. So brace yourself, MDR is coming. This is maybe the, the title of this episode. <laughs> so thank you, Eric. Really, it was a pleasure to have you and uh, talk to you in the next episode. Have a good day. Likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much.